If you are in Matthew chapter 12, we'll be in verse 38. We're kind of going to jump into this right away. We're going to go right into the deep end here. And, you know, if you're looking at the screens or you're looking at your bulletin there, uh, kind of a, you know, is this a fish story? What are we doing here? Well, it's this idea, the title of this morning's message is Jesus is Greater. We're just going to use the greater than symbol. And we're going to look at today, well, Jesus is greater than what? Usually there's another side to this that we're going to talk about, and that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to look at a couple things that Jesus is greater than. But one of the things, as you can tell probably from the very large fish there, the whale shark, I think, in that picture, but the fish there is, we're going to look at the story of Jonah. Why are we looking at the Old Testament story of Jonah? Because Jesus is going to be talking about the Old Testament story of Jonah. And we're going to see how Jesus is greater And so with all that said, let's pray and we'll jump right into verse 38 of Matthew chapter 12. Papa, we come before you this morning and we just thank you. We thank you that uh, first service got us all here safely and they've uh, departed. We pray you just bless them with with the rest of their day. And Lord, for second services, we're here. Uh, Lord, speak to us. We desire it. God, we just thank you. Um, What a beautiful morning it's been. Thank you, Lord, for the snow. Thank you for that... um, just reminding us what it's like when our sins are washed away. White as snow. Even just last service, someone talking about uh, the smell of the snow. It's crisp. There's something about it. There's just something. God, I just thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for how you choose to forgive us. And we just are so thankful for that. We pray as your word is open that we would hear you speak to us. Not for the person next to us and not for somebody that we think really needs to hear this message, but God, for us. I pray that for myself. I pray, Lord, that as we hear your words, we would apply them to our lives and find out how we might follow you closer day by day. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, how about we just start with a verse and we'll just take it from there. Verse 38, Matthew chapter 12. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, Jesus, they answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Okay, so verse that first verse there, especially if you haven't been here for a few weeks, you may be wondering what we're talking about. It started off with the word then, which means some things have happened before. In quick summary, Jesus has done profound miracles in the presence of people that cannot be denied. And yet there are some that are going, well, maybe he does it by the power of the devil. That's how he's, he's healing demon-possessed people. He's doing it with the power of Satan. What? That's what they said. Uh, And then Jesus decides to call the people who said that, who happened to be the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, who are saying, you're doing it by the power of Satan. The reason is they were jealous of Jesus. They were jealous because they knew that he was for real. They knew it. It's not, don't, don't ever think that they were like, they didn't know. They knew. They just chose not to believe. And so what had happened last week? Last week, Jesus said, you know what? You're like a tree. You're like a tree. You say you're a good tree, but yet your fruit is bad. I wish you would either be a good tree with good fruit or be a bad tree with bad fruit. But stop saying you're one thing and acting another way. Be consistent. And that's why we get to verse 38 where it says, then, and now the scribes and Pharisees couldn't say anything to that. They're like, oh, he's got us there. He sees right through us. And so then they do what is sometimes referred to as a pivot. Rather than talk about the issue where Jesus is like, you're being fake. You're saying you love God, but you don't actually love God. You put the act on and you've got most people fooled, but you don't have me fooled. They don't actually address Jesus. As Jesus points out that fact, they don't say, Jesus, you're right. Jesus, help us 
be sincere. Help us to love God. They could have done that. It was an open invitation. And instead they decided to pivot and change the topic. And what did they do? Uh, he's got us. Uh, do a sign. Do a sign, Jesus. Do a sign. So you see what happened with the scribes and the Pharisees. They had an opportunity to let Jesus work in their heart and instead they changed the subject. And this is not something that only the scribes and Pharisees do. I've done it. I'm sure you've done it where an uncomfortable subject comes up or you're busted in how wrong you are and then you're like, yeah, uh, mm, and then you think of something else and you change the topic. This is second service. I'm just going to give you this story here. So I saw this. It was this guy. He... They were doing this fake news thing, and uh, they went around, it was uh, in, in um, the Hollywood, the walk, the walk of stars kind of a thing, and they ended up interviewing people and going, hey, what did you think about Los Angeles winning the Super Bowl? And obviously Los Angeles didn't win the Super Bowl. And the people were like, oh yeah, about that? It was crazy. Like when it happened, and then the guy, like he's like, how was it when it happened? He's like, it was amazing. Like I called my dad, and I, t- I actually texted him, and I told him, hey, you owe me money because you lost that bet. And the interviewer was like, cool, do you have that text on you? And the guy was like, um, hold on a second, uh, you got your phone on you right there? Yeah, yeah, He goes, can you bring up that text? I'd love to see that text where you told your dad about, you know, Los Angeles winning the Super Bowl. And he's like, uh, uh and you could just see the guy, like, he's like, oh, um, um, he goes, yeah, he goes, you know, I don't think I can, I think my battery's actually running low. And so the interviewer's like, cool, what percentage is your battery at right now? The guy's like, um, like 65 He's like, oh yeah, that's, you know, your battery's fine. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, um, oh, let me see. It might take me a while. My phone's wonky. And the interviewer's like, yeah, my phone gets wonky too at times. You ever get busted and being wrong? Like, you're wrong. You're caught. And you're just like, ah, ah, ah. Scribes and Pharisees. Ah, we want you to do a sign. Show us a sign, Jesus. Now, the thing is here. Jesus has done amazing things for them over and over and over again. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him. I don't want you to get the wrong idea that, oh, Jesus, if he had just done a sign here, they would have all believed. He has already done many things. The challenges that Jesus faces here, the challenges that he faces are not unlike the challenges you and I face. We are called to express Christian. We are called to express our belief and our love for God to an unbelieving world. Well, I'll just express it and I'll point out some facts and they'll just believe. Here's the thing. You're still called to love the world and you're still called to be an example whether they believe or not. How they respond, how the non-believer responds to a Christian is irrelevant for how a Christian is supposed to love a non-believer. And so you're not supposed to go, well, I tried it a couple times, people just rejected it, they laughed at me, and so I think I'm going to not ever do it again. No, sorry, God's called you to continue to be an example for him. There's a man who wrote a quote that I think we can really apply, it applies to our day and age here. And here's the quote about how taking a stand for Jesus is an important thing. Making an open stand against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness which overspreads our land as a flood is one of the noblest ways of confessing Christ in the face of his enemies. And if you kind of look at the, the, the chunk of that, making an open stand is one of the noblest ways of confessing Christ. And John Wesley wrote that, and he wrote that in the 1700s. 
See, the truth is still the truth is still the truth. And the truth applies regardless of the culture that you're in. And so John Wesley's statement there, it could just be made just as well today. Making an open stand, it doesn't mean you're in people's faces, you're yelling at them, you're being argumentative, but it just means that you're not going to move off of your love for Jesus. You're not going to, you know, start to run away because people are laughing or because people think that your love for Jesus is foolishness. Hey, I'm sorry you feel that way. Hey, you're a hater. You're t- this is hate speech. You're intolerant. Listen, I'm sorry you feel that way, but God spoke it and I'm just reading what he said and I'm not going to budge. I'm not going to move. I'm going to stand on the words of God. And so John Wesley said that, and I just think it's so important for us. So don't be surprised when everybody isn't like applauding you for your love for Jesus. Uh, Don't be shocked when some people are just like, you know what, if I could just see one more proof, then I'd believe Jesus. And you go, okay, well, and you know, God gives you something and you mention it and they go, yeah, yeah, well, I just need one more. I just need one more. Our world is full of, I just need one more thing, persons. They're not actually interested in believing in Jesus. They're interested in having an excuse as to why they don't believe in Jesus. And that's exactly where the scribes and Pharisees are. So they're saying, you know, they asked for something very specific. They asked for a sign, right? They didn't ask for a miracle. And normally we just kind of look at that and go sign, miracle, interchangeable. Except there is a little bit of a difference. Miracles from their perspective would have been things that are manifest through people. So something miraculous can occur as a person is involved in it. And so they may look at that as a miracle, Signs are on a different level. What do you mean by signs? Signs are like something either celestial or something within creation. It's something like an event in the skies or something written in the stars or some event in the ocean or some storm or something that no human being could have any control over. It's purely a God thing, right? So these scribes and Pharisees are saying, Jesus, we want you to do a God thing. Well, they're not asking for a sign to believe. They're not asking for a sign to believe. And God won't perform a sign or a wonder just to satisfy somebody's curiosity. God is not somebody's pet where he's going to do some trick for them because they want him to. See, for the non-believer, they may go, well, I want a miracle so that I can believe. For a believer, they'll go, I believe in miracles because I know God can perform miracles. And so it's, you know, you, you look at it and you go, wait a second. Jesus, he found himself standing before a man who was questioning him. And when he stood before this man, he made a special appointment to meet this man face to face so that this man could put his hand in the side of Jesus's body and put his hand where the nails were. His name was Thomas. And this is what Jesus said to Thomas. John chapter 20, verse 29, about seeing and believing. Jesus said to him, to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Jesus is saying that you see God when you believe in him. Well, no, seeing is believing. Jesus is saying that believing leads to seeing. Think about that for just a second. Well, how can I believe if I don't know anything about God? Well, I get that. There's going to be a certain threshold where God shows enough to you about him where you go, you know what? I know he's real. And at that point, you need to take a step of faith and trust God based on what he's already shown you. It's not blind faith. You're not leaping out. It's a reasonable faith. It's faith based on evidence. And you take a reasonable step with God and you know what happens when you take that step with God? The door opens up and you start to see God in ways you've never seen him before. And so that level of seeing God doesn't exist until you first believe in him. You have to just go, God, I'm going to trust you on some things. You've shown me enough for me to start to trust you. So let me take that step and trust you. And then God goes, 
Let me honor your decision to trust me and look what I'm going to show you about myself. So we're doing great. We've looked at one verse. Let's move on. Verse 39. Verse 39, Jesus has heard them say, do a sign, Jesus. And here's what Jesus says. Verse 39. But he answered them and he said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So Jesus is now referring to Jonah. And we talked about this. Why won't God just perform a sign? Can't he just perform a sign and then they would just believe? Well, here's the thing. God is not confused that he's God. He doesn't need to prove it to himself. And he doesn't need to prove it to anybody else. You know, in all of these things, he calls them evil and adulterous. Why does he call them evil? Here's why. Because they're willfully blind. Those two words go together. Willfully blind. It's not, oh, I just don't know about you. I was raised in a non-Christian family and I've never heard anything about you. That's not who Jesus is talking to right now. Who Jesus is talking to is, you have read the scriptures, you know the scriptures, you've been raised knowing who I am, and now you are doing this. Your eyes actually work and you're doing this. You're willfully blind. Oh, you're hearing my voice, but you're now willfully deaf. That's the part of Jesus saying, evil and adulterous uh, uh, generation. They cover their eyes and claim, I can't see, I've never been able to see. You're a liar. You know the truth of God and you choose not to. But you're not going to say you choose not to. You just keep asking God for one more thing to prove himself. And God's like, enough. I know your heart. You just don't want me. And the thing with these Jews, I want you to know this too. You may be thinking, man, Jesus, why are you so harsh? They just want a sign. Just give them one sign, okay? You probably haven't given them any signs before. Actually, he has. John chapter 2, verse 18 through 20. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Like they don't ever, that's what Jews do. They ask for signs. And Jesus answered them. He's standing in front of Solomon's temple there in Jerusalem, right? So, you know, imagine Jesus standing, these scribes and Pharisees are around him and the temple's like right behind him. And Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, no doubt laughing and mocking, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up? You're going to build it up in three days? And they probably laughed at him and just like, what a fool. Now here's the thing. Jesus, as he's speaking there, he wasn't talking about the temple that was behind him. He was talking about himself. He was telling them that I'm going to die and in three days I will be raised again. But the thing with a person who is willfully blind, they can't see the truth standing in front of them because they're unable to, because they've chosen to do this. So they can't even tell that God is standing right in front of them. Now, before you start to go, well, Jim, you've you've kind of taken these verses, you've spun them and made it have its own meaning. No, actually, just read the next two verses and you'll see what those verses mean. But he, Jesus, was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So don't feel bad about times where God reveals something and you don't get it right away and you're like only after the fact in hindsight, you look back and you're like, oh, I wish I saw it sooner. The disciples didn't even know. They they heard Jesus. They were right there, but they didn't connect the fact that he was talking about himself until after after he rose from the dead. And they're like, that's what he meant. Remember when we were standing there and he said the temple would be raised in three days? He was talking about himself. Jesus has already spoken these things. 
See, the thing with that temple, let's talk about the first thing Jesus is greater than here. Jesus is greater than that temple. What do you mean Jesus is greater than the temple? The Jews loved the temple. Why did they love the temple? Because for them, it's one location. It's in this, it's in Jerusalem and it's where God is. And for them, they're like, they almost started to worship the temple more than they started to worship God. And that's human nature. Like we're, we can make idols out of anything. And for them, rather than worship the God who made the temple, they started to worship the temple. And so Jesus is like, listen, I'm greater than this temple back here. This temple is going to stop existing in just a few decades. But Jesus continues to exist forever. Jesus is greater. The temple could only be in one location. Jesus can be anywhere he wants to be. Jesus is greater than the temple. And in the back of your bulletins, you'll see this verse, but you'll also see it on the screen here. I just want you to know this about the Jews. This was something that they kept asking about. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 and 23. For Jews demand signs. That's their thing. You got to show me again. I need another sign. I need another sign. I need another sign. You should show them like two dozen signs. Yeah, but I need another one. Yeah, but I need another one. Yeah, but I need another one. So the Jews demand signs. The Greeks were seeking wisdom. Give me some more wisdom. I need some more wisdom. Then I'll believe. Give me some more wisdom. More wisdom. More wisdom. More wisdom. The honest thing is they weren't going to believe. And it says in verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. And that's a stumbling block to the Jews. And it's folly or foolishness to Gentiles. So don't be surprised when you talk about Jesus and the world doesn't get it. You keep sharing and you keep loving, but just know not everybody will get it. Now, I do want to point out a very strong word Jesus used. He said adulterous. Like, is he just like, is he losing it here? Like evil and adulterous? Well, no, he's saying that because they were spiritually unfaithful to him. Think about this. God in every one of their generations has given them someone to speak about himself. God has given him a prophet. God has given him a teacher to be able to speak about the fact that God is real to the Jewish people. You talk about adulterous, like it's somebody who sends Valentine's Day coming up, right? It's somebody who ends up sending a love letter every single day of a person's life, every day. And that person who receives it goes, you know what, whatever, I'm going to go. I know we're married. I know that, you know, you love me, but I'm going to go and run off with this other person. And that's what Jesus is accusing that generation of doing is God has shown you Jewish people. God has shown you his love from the very beginning and you have left him. You are an evil and adulterous generation. On Wednesday, remember we talked about we're doing the red thread study. We're looking at Jesus in every book of the Bible. This week is Pancakes and Joel. <laughs> Last week was Hosea, the book before Joel. And I want to show you the outline for the book of Hosea. The outline for the book of Hosea that we looked at on Wednesday night. In chapter 1 and 2, it starts out with describing the Jewish people as an adulterous wife. And in chapter 3, it talks about a faithful husband who buys back his wife. And then it talks about an unstable nation and it talks about a steadfast God. It's kind of a rough outline of the book of Hosea. But the thing with Hosea, and this is interesting about Hosea, and as I was studying for it and sharing it, it just really moved me about how much God loves us. Think about this. God could claim ownership of me just on the fact that he created me. Like I didn't make me. God created me. God in his mind in eternity past knew what he was going to do and he created me. So just on the fact that like I didn't make myself, I belong to somebody. So God could just have ownership over me just on creating me, but God chooses to go, you know what? I don't want that. I want you to choose me. And so for me, like with every person here, we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. You know, we're born into sin. We're separated from God. 
And each person has to make a choice to be right with God. Now, the story of Hosea, you may not know this story, but here's the story. Hosea was a prophet of God and God spoke to Hosea and said, Hosea, I want you to marry an adulterous woman. So what Hosea do? Hosea went and married a woman and when he married her, he had to buy her out of slavery because she was a slave. And so he paid the full price for her to buy her out of slavery, to make her his wife and to have her be a part of his life and they could spend life together. They had three kids together and then she left him as a single dad and went off into prostitution. Now she might've been a prostitute before, but she definitely was afterwards. And for Hosea, he, and this is not a made up story. Like he was an actual person that lived and God spoke to him. Hosea then had his three kids and then he would go around town and he would end up seeing her with other men. And you think about the heartbreak that it would cause Hosea to go, that's my wife. I bought her. I, I bought her out of slavery. We have three kids together and she left him and is playing the role of the harlot. And then because God had spoken very clearly to Hosea and because Hosea loved his wife, you know what he did? He bought her back a second time because her prostitution ended up lead, leading her into slavery a second time. And we talked about it on Wednesday where sometimes we're like, I'm done with that person. I'm done. We're never, I'm done. No, you're not done because you know what? God's not done. Okay. God's not going to let you be done. And with Hosea, we would look from a very worldly perspective and go, dude, just leave her, man. But God's like, that's not my heart. My door is always open to people. And so Hosea is an Old Testament example of a person being bought twice. God owns me just by creation. But then he gives me a choice and he goes, no, if you want to be mine, Jim, I want you to choose me. And so God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. It's like paying twice for something that's already yours. Do you realize that God did that for every single person on this planet? The sad thing is some people will choose not to accept that free gift of Jesus. Hosea is an Old Testament example of God loving us enough that he would buy us back twice. And so that's why Jesus calls him an adulterous nation. Like, I don't want you to think like he's being overly harsh. No, he's actually being really accurate. They should know the goodness of God and all that God has done for them. So maybe you may say this, you know, you may think this, you know, this question here. Here's a question. Do miracles guarantee that a person will put their trust in Jesus? The answer is no. It's no. I would just need a miracle. If I just had a miracle, I'd believe in God. I'm sorry. Are you like putting God to like some like you're like you're the person now holding the cards? God, if you do a miracle, then then I'll believe in you. Who's talking to who here? Let's go back in history to the Egyptians. The Egyptians had the Jewish people in slavery, the Israelites in slavery, and God brought 10 signs upon them. And in case you don't remember them, let's just look at them. Waters turned to blood. I don't know. I think on the very first one, I'd be like, yeah, okay. All right. I think we're good now. Like that's not red food coloring. That is blood. I think on the first flag, you just kind of be like, okay, that's a sign. I think that's a sign that, that their God is real. And I should probably like uh, acknowledge that. No, didn't work. Okay. One miracle didn't work. Let's make the two. will do it, right? We'll do two frogs. Nah, again, excuses. It's just a, you know, who knows? It's something with animals. It just something happened. Gnats, lice. Nah, it's just, you know, flies. Uh, disease on livestock. Uh, I mean, how many of these need to happen before you realize and just go, okay, maybe there's something to this. Unhealable boils. Okay, hail and fire. <laughs> hail and fire. It's just the weather. You never know. The weather changes. Who knows? And that's the thing. When somebody like, wants to come up with excuses and not believe in God, they'll come up with any excuse as to why they don't believe in God. Locusts. 
darkness, death of your firstborn. I mean, you you go, okay, I got it. Like, we're good. Like, death of the firstborn would definitely be that one. If you know the story in Exodus, you know that Pharaoh's heart, rather than get softened towards God and go, God, okay, clearly you're just, I'm wrong, you're right. What does he do? He hardens his heart. Everybody gets a choice. So I don't want you to think that if God just does miracles, then people will just believe because we've seen historically that that's not the case. Some people in their heart have already chosen, I don't want to believe God. It doesn't matter what he does. I don't care if he suddenly is dead and then comes back from the dead. Oh, wait, he did. So we, um, as we're looking at, at all of these things here, I want you to understand this. Sometimes people are looking for like, I need a miracle. I need an experience of God. I've had experiences with God, like a real moving experience, maybe even an emotional experience where it's something where it's just, I knew clearly that God is real and I knew that he was speaking to me directly. If there's some situation maybe that happened in my life and I go, that was for me. I asked you about something, God, and you answered me in a really specific way. How often does that happen? I wish it happened every day, but the reality is that's not what life actually looks like. You know what life looks like? Life looks like a lot of faithfulness over time. Occasionally, yes, there's these amazing emotional experiences, but I've noticed this. In Christianity, you can run across Christians who they're chasing an experience. They're chasing, they're like, I gotta be moved! I gotta be moved! You know what? Some days following Jesus just feels like work, okay? And sometimes the day after feels like work, and sometimes the week and month and year feels like work, but it doesn't change that God is real. But if you're an experience junkie or you're a person that continually has to go for this high, this, I saw God in a, you know, how are you doing with God? How's, how's God? God's amazing. All right, cool. Yeah, I've had a couple of days like that in my walk with the Lord where, yeah, he's amazing. That's great. Awesome. Next day. How you doing? How's the Lord? Oh, he's amazing. Okay. All right. Cool. I'm glad you've had two days in a row. That's pretty amazing. Day three, day five, day 20. Day th- he's amazing. Okay, dude, stop. Okay, enough. Enough fakery here. Do you think that I need you to say that? See, the problem is if somebody's being trained that being a Christian is always about being on this emotional high, hasn't read the Bible. Read Job. Read Moses as the Israelites are... Like Moses, what was his training? His training was you're going to be out in the wilderness for 40 years. Okay, what's that training for? So that you could lead the children of Israel for 40 more years. That's 80 years. The Bible doesn't, it doesn't have that many pages about it. No, it doesn't because those aren't really exciting days. <laughs> Christian, you have to learn to be faithful when your emotions aren't right there. You got to learn to trust God on what you know in your head, even when your feelings aren't there. We cannot be feeling driven. We can't be, I need another miracle, another sign, another miracle. God is not your pet for him to do what you want. It's so clear that we get that right. Because Christians who are faithful, nothing will stop them. Because they go, you know what? Today's a hard day. Today's a painful day. I'm struggling. But it's okay because I know who God is. And I'm going to keep standing and I'm going to keep walking and I'm just going to keep doing what he called me to do. Those kind of believers are unstoppable. The emotional ones, they're like fireworks. Really excited for about 10 seconds. And then when things aren't, I'm bummed. I'm really bummed. I don't know if God loves me anymore. Listen, you've got to mature. You've got to grow up. God doesn't operate on emotions. Emotions are real. They're just not always right. Okay. So he, we're talking here about Jonah, right? Jonah is this guy that God used. And if you don't know the story of Jonah, uh, God used him to reach this city that he, he loved the people in this city. 
Now the people in the city, they were, uh, they were Assyrians. That was the, the, the empire, the world empire at the time. And so the Assyrians, they had this capital city and their, their, their major city was Nineveh. And God had a message for the people of Nineveh and the Assyrian empire. The problem is Jonah hated Assyrians and specifically Ninevites. Why? Because Ninevites would, well, they would behead Jews, pull the skin or burn the skin off their heads and then stack their skulls. They were very brutal. Uh, you know, when you talk about crucifixion, we think about crucifixion and we think about the Romans, right? The Romans didn't invent crucifixion. The Assyrians invented crucifixion. The Assyrians invented it. The Romans perfected it. And so crucifixion's happening during uh, this time of Jonah as well. All of this is happening here. Everything is going on. And now Jonah ends up showing up at the city of Nineveh, where he should have gone the first time. And so in Jonah chapter three, verse three through six, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. So to walk across it was three days. That's a huge city, a huge sprawling city. And it took three days to get across it. It's the oldest, most populous city in the Assyrian empire. And it's the modern city in Iraq, Mosul, is around Nineveh right now. There's still Nineveh in Iraq, and right around that entire city of Nineveh is the city of Mosul. So it's still there. But Jonah, as he's going in, I think we may even have some pictures, some artwork of those that were describing Jonah as he's preaching there. Gustav Dorr with a print there of Jonah traveling into the city of Nineveh and preaching. Uh, this is a sketch by um, Raphael of, of uh, Jonah outside the walls of Nineveh. Of course, artistic interpretation. So Jonah verse 4 of Jonah 3. Jonah 3 verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. Three days to get through the city. So he just goes a day into the city. And then he called out. And you may just go, wow, this city of Nineveh, like God probably gave him this amazing message. It's probably like so eloquent. He probably spoke for hours. His whole message is right here in verse 4. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's what he did. He was a reluctant prophet. Have you ever had God ask you to do something? You're just like dragging your feet. Like Jonah went the wrong way. God said, no, 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 son, this way. And now go do what I told you to do. And he's just like, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overcome. And that's it. That was it. Verse five. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth for the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, mourning cloth, and sat in ashes. You know why? Their hearts were ready to repent. Their hearts were ready. Their hearts weren't resistant. An entire city repented just because of those few words that a reluctant man sent by God said. And in verse 41 of Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is going to say something about the people of Nineveh. He says, the men of Nineveh are going to rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. The people in Nineveh, he says, are going to be like, you are condemned. You Jewish people who had Jesus come to you, Jesus goes on, he says, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, not the greatest, you know, most, uh, you know, easy to hear person. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Here's the second thing we're talking about today. Jesus is greater than Jonah. 
Why is Jesus greater than Jonah? Jonah came with a message of judgment. Jesus came inviting people into a relationship so that they might experience the love of God. Jonah was disobedient before he reluctantly went to Nineveh. Jesus was obedient in all points in his entire life. Jesus is greater than Jonah. Jonah only went to one city, Nineveh. Jesus and his word have gone to the whole world. Jonah hated Ninevites. Jesus loves everybody. Jonah was a Jewish man sent to Gentiles. Jesus was a Jewish man sent to everybody, the Jew and the Gentile. Jesus is greater than Jonah. And Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees and going, the people of Nineveh, they believed God with Jonah as the guy that spoke to them. You have somebody greater than Jonah standing right in front of you right now. You're without excuse. I think it's so important for us to be honest when it comes to us with God, that we would be honest with him. If you have an issue with God, then be honest with him, but don't make excuses. Don't go, I just need one more thing. I just need one more thing. When you don't need one more thing, you just don't want to. You still, there are some people where I've only heard this a handful of times, less than five times in my life. And all the people that I've talked to who just were honest and said, listen, here's the thing. I actually like my sin. I really like my sin. I know it's wrong. I know God doesn't approve of it, but I want to do it. I've only run into less than five people in my life that have been that honest to say that. Most people who believe that, or they just come up with excuses. They know what right and wrong is, but they just continue to come up with excuses like the scribes and the Pharisees did. And God sees through that. And God will call a person on those things because they are willfully blind, not they just don't know. Now, we got one more verse here, 42 in this passage here in Matthew. And it says, the queen of the south, he's going to talk about somebody else. Jesus is greater than the temple. Jesus is greater than Jonah. And now here we go. Verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Okay, who's this queen of the south? What are we talking about? She's known historically as the queen of Sheba or Sabia in southern Saudi Arabia. If you want to know more about this story, it's in 1 Kings chapter 10. This morning, we're just going to look at a few verses that give us the high points or the, 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 the bullet points. 1 Kings 10 verse 1. Let's learn about this queen of Sheba here. Because Jesus says that she went to go seek Solomon's wisdom. 1 Kings 10 1. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. 1 Kings 10 3. And Solomon answered her all her questions. And there was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. Verse 6 and 7 in 1 Kings 10. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and your wisdom, but I didn't believe the reports until I came and my own eyes have seen it. And behold, the half was not told to me. In other words, this is way better than the reports I had. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. She's absolutely blown away by what God has blessed Solomon with. And then she says in verse number 9 of 1 Kings 10, This is the Queen of Sheba speaking about God. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. So this Queen of Sheba was blown away when she traveled, you know, thousand miles or whatever the distance was to get from her kingdom to come and see Solomon and actually ask him questions. Jesus says, there's somebody standing right in front of you, scribes and Pharisees, that's greater than Solomon. You know, the, the thing with Solomon is that Solomon was given wisdom from God. 
Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is greater than Solomon. Solomon was a great king. Jesus is the king of kings. Jesus is greater than Solomon. But the crazy thing about this story with Solomon, and I hadn't quite thought of it this way. Here it is. The queen of Sheba traveled this long distance to go stand before Solomon. And she was blown away by like his intellect, his wisdom by God, given by God. Jesus, how far do the scribes and Pharisees have to go to find Jesus? They didn't have to go very far. You know why? Because with Jesus's example, he's greater than Solomon. Why? Because Jesus is the one that traveled the long distance. Jesus went from heaven to come to earth so that people could see him face to face. He didn't say, you know what? I'm a king, so you come to me. We could never get to him. So with the example of Jesus, the king made the long journey. The king made the road trip to come stand before people. And they looked at him and said, yeah, no, I don't believe you. I need another sign. I need another sign. Jesus says, you're without excuse. You're without excuse. And so let's look at this. Jesus is greater than all of them. Jesus is greater than Solomon, who came 1,000 years before Jesus. Jesus is greater than Jonah, who came 700 years before Jesus. Jesus is greater than the temple, which is destroyed now. It doesn't exist right now. And it was there at the time of Jesus. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than a lot of things. Jesus is greater than your doubt. Jesus is greater than your fear. Jesus is greater than what you're struggling with right now. Jesus is greater. The question is, does your life show that you believe that? Because your words can be yes while your life is no. And then it's like Jesus telling these scribes and Pharisees, man, I wish you were either a good tree that bore good fruit or a bad tree that bore bad fruit. Like pick and stay consistent. But stop saying one thing and living your life in a contrary manner. And I, wanna, I, I do want to say this, that Jesus is going to show them a sign, but not them right there and then. There's going to be a sign that's going to be shown, and it's going to be in the last moments of human history. As human history is coming to a close, there will be a sign. It's actually in Matthew 24. I know we're in the Gospel of Matthew, but Matthew 24, that's going to be like another year before we get to that chapter. So let's look at it right now. Matthew 24, verse 29 and 30, Jesus speaking about a future sign that's going to come. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, this is the tribulation, the last seven years here, the world is just going to be, the last three and a half years, the world's just going to be in chaos. Antichrist, false worship, all that stuff. Jesus says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. Oh, that must be the sign. No, keep going. The moon will not give its light. That's not it either. The stars will fall from heaven. Wait, what? But that's not the sign. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. That's not the sign. Get ready. Here's the sign. Verse 30, Matthew 24. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming. Well, what's the sign that Jesus is going to give? Himself coming in judgment. Him coming as the King of Kings. Him coming to make all things right and enact justice on this earth. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Why are they mourning? Because a majority of the people that are there on the earth, there'll be Jews that they'll realize that Jesus is their Messiah. They'll be the evangelists on the world during that time. But the majority of the world will be a world that's been a Christ-rejecting world. And they will see the sign. And the sign will be Jesus himself coming. And that will be the last moments of human history because Jesus will deal with that. I don't say, and I don't read this verse with any joy or any glee. Because for those that are here on this earth who see Jesus coming, for them, they'll realize, yeah, we knew who you were. 
We knew the whole time. And we chose not to. We were guilty. There's not going to be anybody that's going to be shaking their fist at God going, God, you and I are going to talk about... It won't be that way. And so the reason why we look at verses like this now, well, one, because Jesus said it. I mean, if your picture is only of Jesus as the, you know, the person who has kids on his lap and, you know, loves sheep and all that other stuff, uh, he's going to come back and the world will mourn. A world that rejected him will mourn because they'll know that there is now no more time. Church, this is why we preach the Bible and we preach the gospel. This is why we're not like, hey, let's do some program or let's start, what, what's everybody talking about in the world? Let's just talk about the new cool. We need to talk about Jesus and his death and his resurrection. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I deliver to you of first importance what I also received. Paul says, I'm going to give you the most important thing that I got. What's the most important thing that Paul got? That Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance to scriptures. Listen, we're just going to keep telling people that. We're going to tell them the truth that Jesus actually died and rose again. And here's the crazy thing. It's so amazing. Jesus also claims that he can raise you up from the dead too. I'll take, I'll take that from the person who actually did it himself. I won't take it from Muhammad. I won't take it from Buddha. I won't take it from Joseph Smith. I won't take it from any of these other false leaders because you know why? Their graves are occupied because they're dead. Jesus is not dead. And for the person who can raise himself on the third day, I believe it when he says these words. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And just later in that passage, he asked this woman, do you believe this? And so with our worship team coming up here, you have to make a decision as to where you stand with God. But I just encourage you to do this. Please be honest. No more excuses. No more delaying tactics. Just be straight with God as to where you are with him. And my prayer is that if you've been rejecting God, you may laugh at what's been said this morning, and that's okay. I'm a big boy. My feelings will, will stay intact. I will still, I'll still be here. I'll be here next Sunday. We'll continue to teach God's word. But the reason we teach it is because it's true and because the person who spoke them died and rose again. And he's alive right now. Let's bow our heads and pray and Maybe as you're here this morning, you find yourself in a place where you're, you realize you can't make any more excuses. That you've been willfully plugging your ears, covering your eyes, claiming ignorance when you really do know who God is. Claiming that you need one more thing, one more example, one more proof, but you know in your heart there's no end to the one mores. You realize that there's something broken in your heart, you can't fix it. This morning you have an opportunity to receive Jesus because he's willing to pay for you. God is willing to pay for you twice. He loves you that much. Will you receive that purchase? Will you choose to be purchased by him? Bought back by him? If that's where you are this morning, we got our heads bowed, our eyes closed. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. I just want to see if God's moving here amongst people. And if he is, and if you realize that you need Jesus, would you just raise your hand? Is there anyone in here that feels that way? I see your hand. Is there anyone else? I see your hand too. Is there anyone else? If you're listening on the radio or the internet, 
hey, this applies to you too. Just because I can't see you doesn't mean God can't. He loves you so much. He just wants you to be honest with him. He's always been honest with you. He just wants you to be honest with him. If you want to receive Jesus Christ as your savior, you want to be bought that second time, the one where you choose, then just say a prayer like this in your heart to God. God, thank you so much that you love me. I'm so messed up. I can't fix myself. God, I'm done with excuses. God, I ask that you would please forgive me for all of my sins. I have so many. God, forgive me for the times I've wronged others. Forgive me for the times that I've wronged you. Forgive me for my sins that I've spoken and the ones that have just been in my heart. God, help me with what I struggle with. Help me with the pain that I feel inside. Jesus, I want to be free. I don't want to be a slave to my sin anymore. Jesus, I believe you died on a cross for me. Jesus, I believe you rose again on the third day, on Easter Sunday, like you said you would. And Jesus, I believe that I'm going to see you one day soon. I believe that I will live forever because Jesus, you live forever. Jesus, help me walk in your ways. Help me be an example to the people around me. Help me to glorify you and make you proud. I love you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.